As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official in the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet, and he began to implore him to come to his house because he had a daughter who was 12 years old, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, and she touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who's the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, people are crowding in and pressing in on you. Meaning all kinds of people are touching you. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. And she fell down before him. And she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a story that has a lot of layers. Today we're going to talk in our How Did Jesus series on how did Jesus deal with shame. How did Jesus deal with shame? That's a story from Luke 8, by the way. Is, is where that's found. You know, the, the question that you have to ask yourself is what, what would make somebody risk it all? And that, that doesn't sound like a lot to you in that moment, but let me, you got to know the backstory to what this woman was dealing with. Bleeding menstrually for all those years, for over a decade. You got to understand what she, what, what would make her risk that? Because you see, because of, by Jewish law, she wasn't allowed to be near people. Anybody she touched would be automatically deemed unfit to go to temple, to go to church. So she wasn't allowed by, by Jewish law to, go, to even to go and participate in worship. She wouldn't have been allowed to touch her husband. I mean, this woman lived in the shadows of life. She was confined in her own world. I mean, it was awful. It was awful. And Peter's basically saying it to Jesus in that moment. Have you, ever, have you ever been on a crowded street? Have you ever been on maybe, maybe something like this? You ever been like, you ever been in New York or some big town and you're feeling, I remember one time standing in, in Amsterdam and, and I was like, it, it, I can't move. There are millions of people everywhere I turn. It was the weirdest feeling, like ants crawling on each other. And, and I think that's what Peter was getting at, like, Master, uh, Everybody's touching you. He says, no. No, power went out from me. Can you imagine that? Power went out. And something happened in that exchange. She, she took a, a monumental risk, a huge risk. It's not easy when you're in her position. You know, I've learned something about people over the years as... I've walked with a lot of people through a lot of dark situations, and a lot of times just situations that are just not fun at all. Sometimes life smacks them pretty hard. And a lot of times I've walked with people through heavy bondage, addiction, abuse, shame, inferiority, 
all kinds of things like that. And, and I've noticed a trend that the people that, that get freedom from whatever they're in bondage over, there's typically an exchange. If they're dealing with deep anger or hurt, maybe they're dealing with, with the, the, the bondage of, of addiction, maybe they're dealing with something that somebody said to them years ago that's painted their entire future. But when, when people are held in captivity over anything, in or, for freedom to come, typically something happens. And, and, and I, I personally call it an exchange. The, way, the easiest way I could describe it to you, walking with a lot of people that I have through abuse and substance abuse, really good people, you'd be stunned at the number of people that you work with that are substance abusers. And, and that, that'll be... That'll be handling just fine, and something's got to swing. If somebody's held in some type of bondage, because bondage looks different for all of us, something has to swing. As long as the problem over here is pretty much typical to what's life going on over here, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. But all of a sudden, let's just take an easy one. Let's take, let's take addiction. Something's got to swing. The pain of the addiction has got to cause you more hassle than you think it's getting you. And when that hassle begins to overtake your life, you will exchange. And there has to be an exchange. And you have to trade something for something else. And, and I believe that's exactly what happened to this woman. She risked it all. She was, she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so she was going to exchange it. And I would say to you that freedom, when it comes to shame or any type of thing going on in your life. Freedom can come, but freedom will only come when I will give up my image for his image. And that's what she did. Freedom comes when I give up my image for his image. And I think if the bleeding woman has anything to teach any of us at all today, it's that you can have freedom in Christ, but that will only come in the exchange when you're willing to give up your image for his image. Image preservation is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And what we see from this woman, if, if we learn anything about how did Jesus deal with shame on the street, is that Jesus is not ashamed of your shame. Aren't you glad? <laughs> that was way better than uh, y'all let on, but, but I'm just going to tell you, okay, that Jesus is not ashamed of your shame. He, you're way more ashamed of your shame than Jesus is. See, because the reality is with Jesus is that this woman, this woman, this is hallelujah, this woman was never off limits to Jesus. And she was off limits to everybody else. In fact, people in my position of the day, if you want to just to use a modern day example of preachers, preachers had told her, hey, you can't come to church, sweetheart. Not until you get all that right. You can't, you, you can't show up around here. People like me had tied up heavy burdens on her back. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, one of the, one of the woes he gave to the Pharisees was that you tie up heavy burdens on people. In other words, you keep them from God, but you're, you won't even lift a finger to make it better. Jesus said that about the Pharisees. No, she was off limits, but not off limits to Jesus. And you're, you're, you may be thinking over there, maybe you're sitting over there in the worship center. If you're a guest in here in the chapel today, we have a whole another group of misfits over there in the gym. They got their own stuff, too. I get to see it every other week. But don't you know, we got ours over here, too. We're one clear view, you know. A whole lot of stuff going on. 
Jesus isn't ashamed of your shame. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, you know, and this is the hard part. This is the hard part when you, when you read a woman like this because you're going, I don't have, like, any big, deep, dark secret. Like, I've never, like, really killed anybody that nobody knows about anyway. I've never really done anything like, you know, like, I'm talking about, like, grotesque. I don't really have this painted past. You know, that, that's true. There's, a, there's people that have these real storied pasts, but I will promise you every single person in here today and over there today and every person listening in podcast land, I'm going to tell you every one of us has something in us that we're insecure about. Every one of us. Every one of us. All I've got to do today is walk past security cameras and I realize I'm losing hair, all right, dramatically. It's insecure. When I go to my barber, we have a conversation about it every single time he has yet to find a way to make hair grow. We all have things that we really don't want to talk about. And I'm not saying you have to come. I mean, this isn't group therapy, and I'm not saying you got to go post things on Facebook. But what I am saying is that there are insecurities in our life, and Jesus isn't ashamed of the things that make us ashamed about ourselves. And you can have freedom from those things, but you're going to have to be willing to give your image for his image. And that's what she did when she reached out and she did that. I remember many years ago, many, many, many years ago, I was in college, and, and um, the Lord has always spoken to me through lyrics of songs. It's really strange. And Stephen Curtis Chapman had a, a, a song at many, oh gosh, 20 years or more ago on the Heaven in the Real World project. And, and there was a song called Miracle of Mercy. And there's a line in that song that says, if the truth was known and a light was shown on every hidden part of my soul, could I show my face if it weren't for the grace of the one who's known the truth all along. The truth was known and the light was shown on every hidden part of my soul. Yeah. If the walls could speak of the times I've been weak when everybody thought I was strong, could I show my face if it weren't for the grace of the one who's known the truth all along? You see, we all have stuff. And she didn't want it anymore. I think for her, she was living in the shadows of life. But in those shadows, see, that the shadows were where, was where it felt comfortable for her. Because that's the first thing we want to do. It's the first thing Adam and Eve did. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did they do? They ran and hid, didn't they? Remember that? When an omnipotent, all-present, all-knowing God says, Hey, where are you guys? As if he didn't know where they were standing in the dirt. Hey, where'd y'all go? He knew exactly where they were. And what did they say? We hid. Why did you hide? Why would you need to hide? You see, shadows are those places that we go when we don't want anybody to know about the things that hold us in bondage. And you can find freedom from bondage if you're willing to exchange your image for his image. And so what she did is she, she ushered it into the light because the reality was those shadows were really just more of a cozy prison. They were more of a, of a place where she was inclined to hide it. So, so she sneaks up, right? She sneaks up and, and in this pressed-in crowd where, where everybody's tightened and bumping into Jesus and touching Jesus. And, and, and now everybody she's bumped into, in, theoretically by the law, they can't go to temple either. They don't know this woman is poisoned and she's going. She's risking everything. And she goes up behind him and then she touches him and Power goes out. Can you imagine? Like she, it says, it says in the scriptures that she literally felt the problem stop. 
Stop. Power went out. Can you imagine grabbing on to holy God? Wow. My granddaddy talked about one time in the uh, Tennessee, he worked for TBA after the war, and they had to be certified. They had a new uh, uh, truck that had a, an insul first time they'd ever come out with an insulated bucket. Tennessee Valley Authority brought power to the South. So my granddaddy put, put in power lines, big, huge, monstrous power lines. And they had this new, new technology out at the time in, in the 50s. And, and they had this bucket that no longer, you, you still had to deaden the lines. But in, in theory, the bucket would keep you from being shocked. The problem with this is somebody's got to test that thing. <laughs> right? So my granddaddy said, in order to work for the TVA, you had to do something. I remember being a little boy and he told me about this. I don't know what made him tell me the story. He said, we got in the bucket and he said, in order to keep your job, it was the only way Cap Rudder, that was his boss's name, Captain Rudder, Cap Rudder. He said, the only way you were allowed to keep your job is you had to reach out and you had to grab a hold of 100,000 volts. And so Cap Rudder was the first man. Now a salesman's telling you it's going to work. He said, so I remember holding out my hand and going, wow. He said, I grabbed onto that thing, and all my hair stood up, and I started shaking, not violently, just shaking, but I could still talk. And he said, then I let go. The bucket worked. Can you imagine grabbing on to holy God? Power went out from Jesus. See, this was the first time. She, the Bible says, it says in Mark chapter 5, but you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 5 it says she had been to all the doctors and spent all her money. You ever spent a lot of money on your health? She'd been to all the doctors and nobody could do anything. But this time she came face to face with the healer. And the game changed, didn't it? See, the thing that Jesus teaches us about the insecurities, even if they're small, even if they're these little places that you don't want anybody to know, because what's going to happen if they find out that maybe, just maybe, you're an imposter? Do you know PhDs struggle with that, by the way? There's research done on it. The imposter syndrome. That maybe, just maybe, you were the one that got through and you got this really cool job as a PhD, maybe a professor, a researcher, but there's a, there's a stigma within that is because you know why? They hang out with really uber smart people. That was my entire educational career. I always knew I was the guy that just, I, am, I've, I say it all the time, I am living proof. I'm not joking. I'm living proof you can get a doctorate on extra credit. <laughs> because I did it. I think uh, Fuller was just, uh, you know, throwing a bone to the South and uh, raising up the standard of, you know, equality and stuff. You're around really smart people. What if they know? What if they know that I don't always know as the CEO the exact algorithm to pull us into a new revenue stream? What if they know? What if they know that when I look at other moms and I say, wow, she's really got it all together. 
What if they know that I feel like I don't have it all together? What if, what if they know? So you see, we are always in this comparison trap. Jesus isn't ashamed of our shame. And you can have freedom, but you're going to have to exchange your image for his image because the, for the first time, she was face-to-face with the one that had the authority and the power to erase the shame. So that was different from all the doctors, right? Amen? That was different from all the doctors. He had the power and the authority to, to heal it. Jesus said this about himself in Matthew 28. I thought this verse is amazing. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority and power has been given to me on heaven. And for the first time, she encountered the one that could change it. She encountered the one that could change it. See, for, in order for you to really understand this story, there's something you got to do. you got to understand what I'm going to call the, the, just the, the, uh, the role of the talent, uh, if you're spelling it, T-A-L-L-I-T. And, and uh, I brought a scarf I picked up over in the U.K. Um, it's from Ireland, but, but the... Uh, that's the closest thing I could do. So what a Jew would do, Jewish male, would take this thing and he would put it on himself. And it was symbolic of holiness. He was under the cover of the word of God. But on his talent, there would be four corners and they would typically have a braid and they would be blue symbolic of royalty and priesthood and authority. And he would have had one on, the prayer was bigger than this scarf, but he would have one on every corner, right? Now you got to understand the role of the talent in this story because it gets lost. A lot of times, especially if you look, if you go to Sam Cooke theology, that famous singer from the 50s and 60s, his, his great song, If I Could Just Touch the Hem of His Garment, because there was superstition in those days that if you could just touch a holy person, maybe you would be healed. And, or if you could get near, it's like a magic mojo kind of thing. And, and that's not what was going on here. Now, what was going on here was with, that, that he was under the, the royal priesthood. But you see, there was a promise this lady had, she would have known as a Jew. And that in those days, it was, it was told that a Messiah would come and he would have healing in his wings. There would be healing there to Malachi 4. It's in Numbers as well. Even in Revelation, it talks that when Jesus comes back, he will have words on his tunic. King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's easy to think when you read your, your Bible that she just tried to sneak up behind him and, you know, touch him and, and do the run. But that didn't happen. No, she did something. It says she didn't. She, that, that woman could have touched him anywhere. If it was just magic mojo, she could have glanced by him and just touched him. She could have maybe bumped into him if she was, no. No, it says she grabbed, she reached out and she grabbed somewhere. She grabbed the tizzit. She grabbed the place of authority. Don't miss that. She chose to touch him and that's why he said who touched me because power went out she grabbed the place of power and that's why he says in verse 48 your faith made you well your faith made you well 
She knew exactly what she was doing when she grabbed onto him. If the Bible is anything, it is a story of two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. That's the narrative of Scripture. And I think to understand the role of what's really going on right here is you have to understand that in the world of darkness, in the world of light, you've got to understand the power of the cross in this story. The power of the cross is such, and the role of the cross is that Jesus came and he took sin and shame on himself and he, he positioned it on himself in the cross and therefore he, he died and he went to the grave and he buried it and then he came out of that grave. You see, in order for you to get freedom, you're going to have to give up your image to get his image. I love what it says in Matthew 16. Look at this verse. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake will find it. Is that not what she did? Whoever is willing to exchange their image for his image. We're not talking about the, uh, the positive self-image. No, we're talking about the image of holiness that covered Jesus. You see, you can have freedom, but you're, gonna have to do ex- you're only going to do it Jesus' way, and that is, if you want to come after me, then you're going to have to deny yourself. There's got to be an exchange that happens, and you've got to be willing to lose your life in order to find it. Jesus was very clear about that. Let's go backward one. Let's look at Neil Anderson's great quote from The Bondage Breaker. He says that freedom from spiritual conflicts and bondage is not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. And he's right. You see, in this story of truth and lies, there was power in the story that she was believing, but there was different power and different authority. I, I love what Neil often says, that if you, want to, uh, if you want to exchange with the devil, it's, a, it's an exchange of truth. It's a truth thing. Because the reality is this woman now had reached out and she had come under a whole new truth. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. You can, ex- you can have freedom, but you're going to have to exchange something. Nothing's going to happen without that. If, if the bleeding woman teaches anything, not only does Jesus have the power and he has the authority to, to erase shame, but if you notice in the story that he also didn't just erase her shame, he restored her position. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Jesus has the power not only to erase your shame, but he has the power to restore your position. It was more than, it was more than just health right here, wasn't it? It was more than just health. I love how Jesus didn't let her get away with it. He didn't let her just sneak up and go, no, he's going to bring it all into the light. He wasn't doing that to embarrass her. He wasn't doing that to embarrass her at all. I believe that Jesus made her look right into the eyes of truth to change her position because see everybody had her at a low position she wasn't worthy that's why she had the shame she wasn't worthy she was believing a different story as Proverbs says as a man thinks in his heart so he is we all have stories that we tell ourselves and shame listen to me shame and insecurity and all those things that you battle when nobody's looking even when you're driving down the road those things only work when you believe a lie it only works when you believe a lie 
in order for shame, in order for even, even the smallest dose of insecurity to tackle you. And you may think that you don't battle this stuff. You do. Oh, I promise you, we've all got it. Even the strongest, most capable-looking people have insecurities. Quarterback after quarterback in the NFL, I've watched documentaries forever. And the reason they don't want the backup quarterback in the game is because they're like, what if they find out? that that person can play just as good as me. That's why you see a quarterback in there when they're up 120 to nothing. They said Peyton Manning would never come off the field. We've all got things. We all have positions. He's not the only one. We've all got positions. What if I let somebody else in my job take glory, take credit for something? What if they find out that I wasn't the one that had the smarts to figure that out? We've all got insecurities. We've all got it. And they tell us things, and those stories tell us things constantly, constantly. For order for the insecurities to work, in order for the shames to work, you have to believe a lie. And in this particular case, she ran into a different storyteller. Whole different storyteller. I want you to look at something kind of interesting to me about this lady and how Jesus dealt with her. It's in verse 47. It said, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice... She began to tremble. No getting away from it now. She fell down before him. She declared, this, this, this is what jumped out at me. I've read this story a lot over the years. But for some reason, I missed that. She declared in the presence of all the people the reason, the reason why she had touched him. Can you imagine? Disclosing to a crowd full of rank strangers what has made you approach Jesus in the first place? Can you imagine? Especially with that problem, in that day, in that era. But she had met a new author. What would, what would make her do that? I mean, he didn't make her do that. She did it. Did you notice that? It says she fell down in front, and by her own will, she declared the reason. You know why? Because freedom comes when I exchange my image for his image. She didn't care, she didn't care anymore. She didn't care anymore. Because it may have been only seconds old, but that problem was gone. That problem was gone. When Jesus touches something and when power goes out, he doesn't just halfway invade somebody. She had a whole new story and a whole new story to be told. And the question that I keep asking myself often when I encounter stories like this that are incredibly street level is why in the world is this in the Bible? You ever thought about that? Like why, I mean, of all the stories that Luke could have chosen, of all the stories Matthew tells it and so does Mark, why in the world is this story in the Scriptures? I think it comes down to who's going to be the author of your story because we all have a story. And when it comes to us living in Christ, the truth is you weren't meant to live in the shadows. You just weren't. 
You weren't created to live on the fringe. You weren't birthed into this world to have sin smack you, to have life punch you, to have real things happen to you, real labels put on you, real thoughts that go through your mind, real failures that sometimes you did it, sometimes they were done to you. You weren't just put on this world to be the sum total of all your junk. But what that does is it causes us to retreat into the shadows and we weren't meant for the shadows. So this woman exchanged her image for God's image and she got it. You can get freedom. And if we're ever going to walk in this world and engage this world and testify to the living God, then we've got to come to a place where we're a little bit comfortable with, you know, our own story. See, the problem with so many of us is that we're so afraid that if people find out what we did in 1984 or what we did 14 weeks ago, if people found out, if those walls could speak of the times you've been weak, if they really did know the real me, then, well, I'm just going to have to change churches. And that's going to be the narrative of your life. You're going to have to, you're going to go through all of them in Williamson County. If that's the case. If we're just going to bounce, if we're so afraid. I really do think life would be easier if we all came with warning labels. No kidding. Wouldn't that be freeing? I mean, if you, if you didn't know any better, you know, like when you're, you know, when you, you go in for some test when you're 18, Boom. Insecure about these things. Oh, I get it. Okay, makes sense. I made sense of everything about the last month at work. You know, yeah, we've all got that. And I'm not saying you should, some of you that are introverts are going, where in the world is he going with this? I'm not saying you got to go posting that stuff on Facebook. What I am saying is that the faster you come to grips with what Jesus already knows, the faster you will get freedom from it and you will become a walking testimony of what God can do. Every time. Why do you think we bring people up on these stages all the time? You think it's for them? No. It's to let you know that you go to church with some very healthy and messed up people all in the same body. Like the actual body, very healthy and very jacked up, eighth graders say. We've all got that stuff floating around. And for some reason, we never really get over it, but we're so afraid. I recently watched, um, I was watching an interview with, um, don't show them the quote yet. But boy, when I saw the quote, I thought, wow, somebody got to him. I don't know who it was. It was neat. I'm going to show you a quote in a few seconds from Rory McIlroy. It's one of the greatest golfers to ever have played the game, from Ireland. And I watched him in a press conference talking about his play on one particular tournament. And this is what he said. He said, I think the big thing is I am not my score. 
and I am not my results. And I thought, hmm, somebody got to him. Praise God. Praise God that he can be a person who has detached himself from realizing that his worth isn't bound up at the end of a scorecard or a sponsorship deal. Because if you don't think we all struggle with the sum total of your worth and your own scorecard, we've all got them. We've all got them. Somebody is, I don't know where he's at on the faith spectrum, but somebody is talking to him about his story and who gets to tell the story of his worth. It made me think a lot about Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance or every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation. You have a new storyteller. You have a new storyteller. But that only works if you believe it. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You have a story. And you will experience the freedom of all that Jesus and the power that goes out from him if you're willing to exchange your image for his image. He is the author of the new story.